Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 227. We got a really good show lined up for you today. In our warm-up segment, we're going to talk about our city of the week, player of the week, equipment tip of the week, have a great did you know, and of course, another listener question, and as always, Paige's power play. In our lead-off topic, we're going to talk about potential players that have it, players that don't, and the difference between them and the ins and outs of, uh, of how important potential really is. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about time limits. Now that we're uh, hitting the end of the summer season for here in Georgia, heading back into school ball, pluses and minuses and things that we love or hate and mostly hate about time limits in softball. Our coaching tip of the week, we're going to do at least one more time this week. We're going to talk about coaches stop Fixing mechanics after every single swing. Okay. Please. So before we get into those fun topics, Don, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to Save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support Everything Fast Pitch at the same time. Also, let's talk about patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. First off, I want to say thank you very much to Jack Ingram. Jack is our newest patron. Really do appreciate Jack coming on board. So as we've been talking about uh, the patrons and patreon.com situation now for about a month, we've seen several people come on board and become patrons, which is really helping us out a, a great deal. There's no nice way to say it. We need more people to do the same thing. Coach Don and I love doing the podcast. We love getting together and talking about fast pitch all the time, uh, spending time here with Stan. Uh, doing the podcast is a lot of fun. Just the reality of our situation is we need to keep adding patrons. Uh, we are still coming up way short every month of what it costs versus what's coming in. I mean, we've shouldered it for a long time. Uh, we've had some really good months and some months that have not been so good. The patrons that have been supporting us have kept this thing moving, and we really do appreciate all of their support. I think the fact that so many people have been loyal to us tells us that there's people that really do see value in the podcast and want us to be able to keep doing them. But we've got thousands of people that listen. And so out of uh, all of you, if there's a dozen more, 20 more of you that can come on board, obviously that would be a big step in the right direction. Um, And we certainly would love to see as many people as possible helping to support us. So you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. You go through the stages, uh, there's uh, you know, some questions that you answer, and there's three different levels of support that you can sign up for. It's either $5, $10, or $20 a month. And uh, as always, we do appreciate the patrons that we have, uh, but we need more people to come on board. We've talked about it enough. I don't want to just keep beating the dead horse. Sure. Uh, but but want to make sure that everybody understands that this is a serious, serious situation. We're not that far away from having to sit down and have a hard, heart-to-heart discussion about how much longer we're going to be able to do it. And I don't want us to have to uh, have some big announcement of something terrible happening that changes things in the future. So 
Go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. And again, thanks, Jack Ingram. We really do appreciate your support. So down in our warm-up segment this week, let's talk about our city of the week, Climax, North Carolina. Right, North Carolina. There's tons of good softball out there. Yeah, well, one of the things as we travel around, you know, we get a chance to go to a lot of different places, see a lot of different kinds of softball hotbeds, places where the game is, you know, really big and really popular. You see some other places that are a little bit smaller, uh, maybe not quite as uh, well-established, but they're growing on the rise. And uh, it's always great for us to see the numbers jump uh, in an area because that means that a bunch of people have asked their friends, gotten their people that they know that are fast-pitch people, to give a listen. Uh, we certainly do appreciate the folks in Climax doing that for us. We always ask you as a, as a listener to spread the word, get as many people as you can to take a shot at listening to what we're doing with everything fast pitch and coach prep. And I'm pretty confident if they listen that they're going to come back. So we would hopefully uh, continue to see the numbers grow. But thanks to Climax North Carolina, that's the city of the week. Our player of the week this week, Don, is Lane Stedman. Lane is a 12U pitcher, a right-handed pitcher. She's, again, another one of those kids. We've been talking a lot lately about kids that are hardworking, dedicated. Kind of do it all. You know, great students, that kind of stuff. And Lane definitely is in that category. Uh, she's also had some uh, really big success uh, on the softball field this year through a couple two hitters. She's uh, doing a really good job there. She's on a first-year 12-and-under team and doing a really good job against the older teams in her age group. That's a tough age. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, having gone through that, that first year of 12 and under, yep. um, when you're playing those kids that are a year older, typically in a lot of the tournaments that you play, it's definitely a challenge. So to see a pitcher doing a good job in, in that situation, it's a great thing. Um, she helped her team finish really strong at the uh, state championship uh, in Colorado. And uh, obviously she's just another you know, one of those kids that's a great student, a great softball player, great teammate and the kind of kid that we want to be recognizing. So congratulations, Lane Stedman. You are the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. Lane, keep it up. Yep. As always, please make your nominations. Send us an email at either fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. Coach Don and I love being able to recognize uh, players, and we've been on a pretty good hot streak. We've been recognizing a lot of kids that are not kids that come through either one of our training facilities. And, right. And uh, you know, not the kids that we're working with on an every week basis. And so that's exciting for us. Uh, to get a chance to spread the wealth out a little bit more and uh, and recognize players from a, a wider variety of areas. So please make sure you send us those nominations. Again, everything fastpitch at gmail.com and fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So Don, that's going to take us to our equipment tip of the week. Let's talk about our Square Cuts training disc. No, Tori, with the discs this week, uh, had had a story of uh, one of the coaches that was using it for other things. You know, they always use it for their hitting, but they broke them out and used it for... Uh, their overhand throwing. He said how their kids' eyes lit up when they realized what kind of spin they were putting on each of their throwing attempts. It gave them good feedback to see if they were going 12 to 6 or if they were, you know, 2 to 8 kind of thing. Right. You know, that wasn't one of our original purposes because they're fantastic for hitting um, and give great feedback there, but it was also something they could use uh, as part of their warm-ups when they were working on their throwing. No, I think one of the things that uh, our listeners proved to be so much smarter than us and our customers so much smarter than us is as soon as they got their hands on the Square Cuts training discs, they figured out that they could use them for throwing, pitching, fielding, bad hops, just about everything you can imagine. We had um, no plan for that. Right. So the idea that it has become such a versatile training tool is something I'm very excited about. Obviously, um, I love using it for hitting because I think it gives some feedback that hitters have a very difficult time uh, really picking up for themselves when they're hitting a real softball and definitely when they're hitting like a wiffle ball or something that's really light. 
And so the square cuts training discs are a great investment. I think every player should have a, a set at the house so when they're working on their training, they can hit them at, at home. And every team needs to have some so that you've got the uh, variety in, in your training and another set of drills and things that you can do with your players to give them the kind of feedback that we really need them to have. Um, if we want to continue to see them develop and, and, and be able to uh, solve some problems for themselves and figure some stuff out for themselves. So, Tori, for forty nine ninety five. I don't know how we can uh, not have them. Yeah, no, but it's, it's really, to me, um, one of those training tools that everybody should have. And once you've got them, um, I know uh, I've had several people that had a dozen, um, took them to a team practice and figured out very quickly they needed another dozen or two yep. so they could have two or three stations going. And they could, um, as we said the last couple of weeks, talking about uh, hitting them on the field so you can see the flight a little bit better and see how they're flying. So that's a station. Then they're hitting them into the nets. You know, they're doing all kinds of different things with them. And so obviously it's a great tool. So as you said, Don, $49.95 a dozen. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website. Click on the order button and we'll get them sent out to you right away. Um, We've got them here in stock. We are not victims to the shortages or the uh, supply chain issues or anything like that. We've got them here. We were uh, lucky enough to be ahead of it. Not yet, but... Yeah. Well, we hope we don't fall into well, that. Yeah, well, we run into the problem of running out of them. That won't be a real It'll problem. Be a good problem. That'd be a yeah. good problem to have. But so the square cuts training disc again, fastpitchprep.com, forty nine ninety five a dozen. Order them up, and we'll get them sent out to you right away. So Don, did you know that the Athletes Unlimited main season is cranking back up again up in uh, the greater Chicago area? Mm-hmm. And so we're going to start to see a whole lot of uh, professional fast pitch on ESPN and the ESPN networks again. That's kind of cool, and I know probably it'll end up being a lot of kids that we might have watched in college. Yeah, it's uh, a really a, a who's who of softball players. Now there's uh, you know many great players who are also playing in the uh, women's professional fast pitch group this summer, uh, but the Athletes Unlimited definitely has a whole bunch of names that you would recognize. Do the Olympic ladies, do they participate in that? Uh, some do. Um, I, I think of, it's uh, just kind of a hit, hit and miss. But the biggest thing about Athletes Unlimited is it's a great chance for you to see the best players playing against each other. We've talked a little bit in the past about how the whole uh, professional fast pitch thing is struggling to ever have a real toehold and and build something that uh, players could make a real honest-to-God living doing. But I think the uh, Athletes Unlimited is an interesting twist. I have enjoyed watching the games. I'm still missing out on the being able to cheer for my team aspect of it. You know, I'm not that big of a fan of cheering for an individual player right, to do well so that she can win the individual award. But it is an interesting way to watch the game. And I know some people, uh, coaching friends, who do some scrimmages and stuff like that with their teams where they use the Athletes Unlimited scoring system as a way to add a little bit of variety to what's going on when they're doing team scrimmages and stuff like that. So can we explain a little bit more how exactly how that format works, or do we know? Well, the, the scoring system, it's basically points are awarded for different positive things that you do. Your team, there is a team aspect to it. You do get points for shutout innings, for winning an inning, for scoring. Put out for- all different kinds of things are, are evaluated. Scoring. But the individual aspect of it is you get points if you get hit by a pitch. You get points for you individually if you get a base hit, if you hit a home run, whatever it is. It's a very interesting thing to, to see. But like I said, you know, we want to support Fast Pitch on TV every chance we get. And Athletes Unlimited is our next chance. Make sure you tune in. Uh, the more eyeballs that we put on the screens, the better for all of us because the games are just going to keep growing. Well, I know it's a really high level of ball, and uh, just like you said, Tori, if if we're all supporting it, then there's a chance for there to be a money portion at the end of the day for the kids that are playing. Yep. 
All right, Don. So that's going to take us to this week's listener question. And this week's listener question will again be anonymous. Okay. Just in case. But this uh, person's daughter, and I'll just try to read this word for word. My daughter is an outstanding pitcher, and she is not afraid of competition. She deserves to pitch. She does a great job for her team. And the coaches have continually reinforced for her how well she's throwing and how much she's contributing. But since the end of the season, they have added three more pitchers that they keep telling us are just for pitching depth. So we're adding these pitchers for pitching depth to give us a a deeper rotation and to have uh, more pitchers on the staff. So my question is, should we be worried about our role on the team with all these new faces coming on board? I think it's a neat thing, Tori, for us to chat about because um, having depth to me just gives us an opportunity to be fresher, you know, for the big championship games. Right. If your shoulders are the only ones that are carrying the load all the way through, there's no way for you to be fresh enough to really show your true potential during the games that we're going to have college people watching eventually, right? right? So, you know, that depth is going to just enhance us. And it's also, obviously, even with this question, it's going to motivate us to continue to work hard because there is that competition element in there. And, you know, the really, really good teams, and we talk about this, I always, you know, talk with the parents that are coaches that come in and, and train here, but the depth is something that I think we're really lacking in a lot of the travel world right now. If the main priority is just to get playing time, 10, 11 players, perfect. If the main priority is to have a chance to win on the weekend, win a championship, and maybe win a national championship one day, we're going to have to have the depth for all the reasons, not just extra pitching, but just for competition, right. for um, consistency. You know, when somebody gets an injury, somebody gets something, we're plugging in a person that knows the pop-up communication, that knows the relay, that knows the rundown, not just an add-on person that we've brought on for the weekend. And that's going to be the weak link when we're, you know, competing against people that are, you know, right there beside us um, talent-wise. So I think that uh, that depth is something that we need to start getting used to, that we need to start getting comfortable with competing, you know, for playing time. And and if you are the number one, you're going to be the number one, right. and, and they're going to and they're going to make it to where you can shine even more. Right. Well, there there are a couple of things in this email that uh, kind of made me wonder or question just a little bit. So number one is saying straight, you know, straight out, my daughter is not afraid of competition. Okay. So if that's true, then having more pitchers really shouldn't affect her at all. Confidence. Or, right. It shouldn't yeah. affect her confidence or her uh, ability to to go out there and show. If the coaches are telling her she's doing a great job and, and being that positive and reinforcing the fact that, that the idea of adding these additional pitchers is to really be depth for the staff. Sometimes you have to be able to take people at their word and, and trust that that's what they really mean. Now, if I really don't have that much confidence or I really don't work that hard or I really don't accept the challenges, then the idea of other people probably come in looking like a threat more than a uh, way to make our team stronger. And so reading this email, um, it made me think that these coaches are listening to what we're saying and they're trying to add some depth so that so that their team does have a better chance of going deep into the tournaments, that they're not running on fumes every uh, Sunday afternoon because yeah. the games have stacked up, that they're not you know, afraid that you know the pitcher's arm is going to fly out of the socket on one of these pitches because she's thrown 700 pitches already this weekend or whatever it might be. The idea of depth to me really does make a lot of sense. And so if that, if you believe the coaches and that's what they're saying, then I don't think you have anything to worry about. 
if you don't believe the coaches and you think they're trying to do some sort of end around to bring in somebody better than your daughter, well, that's, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff wrong with that scenario. If you don't trust your coaches, that's bad. If you think they're trying to pull something over on you, that's bad. If they, you know, if, if you already believe that about them, then that's bad. So there's a whole lot of stuff in that. Uh, it might be better to the, make a change anyway. Yeah, it might be, be yeah, it might, might be time to go looking for a different team. Which, but, as uh, a pitcher, isn't hard to do. Typically. Yeah, no, yeah. I think uh, it, you're it, in a good place. Mo- most pitchers now are in such demand that you know, and and I, I guess that was the other thought I kept having is around here finding two or three pitchers that want to come onto a team without being promised that they're going to be the number one seems like a, a little bit of a stretch. So I think there's a whole lot of stuff in this situation that probably needs a you know, as a uh, deeper look. Yeah, and as you always say, Don, you know, some some real communication, some real you know, talking through what's going on to make sure that we're all on the same page. I love the idea of having three or four pitchers instead of one or two. Uh, I love the idea of having competition. I think that's a great thing. And if your daughter really is not afraid of the competition, then she should be more like, well, hey, bring them on. I don't care who we add. Embrace it. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. going to prove that I still deserve to pitch the championship game. And maybe just know that it will be a whole lot more fun to pitch that championship game because you didn't have to pitch the semifinal and the quarterfinal and the first bracket game and three of the pool games and everything else that weekend to make sure that you got a chance to get to the championship game. No, I know, Tori, long time ago, uh, a wise coach, you know, in conversation said to me that when you think you've got enough pitching, go get one more. Right. So I don't, I I think that's a good problem, especially if they're uh, able to do other things. So if they're that, uh, you know, second or third and a half pitcher. Right you know, where they can play a little bit of third base and, and stay, you know, stay active and busy yeah, that and, way and too. I, and I didn't get to this part of the, of the email because it was fairly lengthy, but it sounds like this is a really strong team, you know, like a national championship type caliber kind of team. And I think that all plays into this too. If it's uh, the less successful team that's only playing three or four games in a weekend and going home after two or three bracket games and doesn't really get very far, well, then pitching depth is a different discussion. Versus a team that's playing seven, eight, nine, ten games every weekend. Absolutely. No, and think about it, Tori. When they get off to college, too, they're not going to be one or two pitchers on a on a college roster. Right. There's going to be many. So we need to kind of get used to navigating and digging in our heels like we've been talking about and, and working for it, too. Hopefully everything will work out perfect. But if she ended up being the number two on a team that plays for the championship every weekend, She's, she's pitching a lot. She's going to get seen, and she's going right. to be pitching a lot, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that there's a, a whole lot of reasons to think that adding depth to the pitching staff is a really good idea. Good. Yeah. Um, but if, if you really have concerns or, or any of these things are really raising that many red flags, get on the phone, Keep have a digging. meeting, sit yeah. down and talk it through. You know, Don't be surprised. If you're a little bit apprehensive, go ahead and find out the answer. Now, you might not like the truth or well, the response, but you, at least you'll know where you stand. Most of the time, too, Tori, we kind of have a, a pretty good idea of what level the additional players are. We we know if they're, right. are they the ones that we've been pitching against in the end of tournaments, or are they the ones that we've been beating? Right. So there, there's a lot of information there. But we really do appreciate it. If you have questions, make sure you reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Coach Don and I love the questions. We love the Player of the Week nominations. And just the ideas of uh, things that uh, you would like us to talk about, it's a fun place for us to start. So, Don, that's going to take us into this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here this week. I hope you're having an amazing day. 
So today I want to talk a little bit about giving your daughter this powerful tool to create confidence before her next game. If you don't know already, visualization is an incredibly powerful tool that your athlete can use to create confidence before her games. But today we are going to mix things up with visualization and use another form of it through video and imagery. So instead of just visualizing and imagining what your daughter wants to happen, seeing her success in her mind, I want you to help her create a confidence highlight reel or album. And you're probably like, what the heck is a confidence highlight reel or album? <laughs> Which is what I'm going to explain to you. So a highlight reel a confidence highlight reel is a com they're compiled videos and photos of your daughter playing, competing, succeeding in a video through something like TikTok or Instagram reels or a video editing app that you can use. And trust me, like they're so savvy, like and work on this project together. It can be, this doesn't have to be any like fancy video. You don't have to hire anyone to do video. This could be video from your phone. It can be um, actually one of the girls that I was working with. She was telling me that game, the game tracker now is saving video clips. So maybe uh, grabbing video clips from Game Tracker, if that's the thing that your guys' team uses. If your team sets up a camera, things like that, pull those videos and images. And if you don't have any, start taking some video. <laughs> start taking some video of her in her games and things like that. The Confidence album is very similar, except for it's compiled videos and photos of your daughter playing, competing, succeeding, saving and saving those in a specific album on her phone or your phone or a tablet, um, like in the Photos app, you can create like a separate album in there and you can call it like Sally's Confidence Before Her Game or something. You're probably wondering, okay, how is this going to help my daughter create confidence before a game? This is something that she can use, look at, watch before her games in a pregame routine as a form of visualizing. It's going to help her remember that she's done this before and she can do it again. It's going to allow her to visualize herself succeeding. When we visualize, our brain tricks our body into thinking we actually did it. And then boom, like confidence booster, right? Now she's thinking about, wow, I can do these things. I've done them before. Like seeing herself succeed rather than watching herself fail or always looking at how she can improve or looking at the negatives or thinking about the negatives. It's really going to shift her mood, her energy, her confidence, okay? Think of it like a hype video before playing. We are going to be working on this during mindset lessons this week. I'll be sharing with the girls the importance of visualization and doing it before games to create confidence rather than letting the game's results or practice that week dictate her confidence. So you can grab that mindset lesson at my website at pagetons.com. And I cannot wait to see more of these confidence highlight reels or albums. If you guys create one, make sure to tag me or if you like decide to post it on social media, make sure to tag me in it. I would love to share it. I love to celebrate you guys and the actions that you're taking. So if you do end up going to create a confidence highlight reel or an album with your daughter, please share it with me. I would love to see it um, and have fun with it. All right. So if you're not taking advantage of Paige's programs, folks, you're missing the boat. You know, one of the things that uh, we're going to talk about at the end of the pod today is the mental part of this game is so crucial. And to me, I think it is the greatest weakness in our game. I think there's way too many of us as coaches and parents who just think it's some sort of hokey mumbo jumbo that doesn't really mean anything. And that if she would just keep her elbow up or she would just do something else. Take more swings and... Whatever it might be, throw more strikes or whatever it is, 
secret to having that success is an awful lot of times uh, the six inches between the ears more than it is anything else. And so Paige's programs are going to do a great job. It's pagetons, T-O-N-Z dot com. So Don, that's going to take us to the leadoff segment. Leadoff segment is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at Elite Sports Orders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, gloves, equipment, spirit wear, uniforms, don't be afraid to reach out to the folks at Elite. They've been doing it really well for a long time, and they're happy to ship anywhere in the United States. So I saw a very interesting thing on social media the other day, Don, that I thought would lead us into a pretty good conversation. And the quote on social was basically, I care less about your potential and care much more about what you do with it. Interesting. Yeah, and that there's yeah. a, you know, the, the whole list of players that had tremendous potential but didn't accomplish very much. It would be a gigantic list, except we don't know who any of those players are because they didn't accomplish anything. Right. They didn't get that far. Yeah. But the thing that I thought was interesting about is that I think, you know, my personal opinion, now, we're not talking about extremes here. We're not talking about you have one kid who's like a world-class, Olympic-class athlete that if she wasn't a softball player, she'd be winning the 100-yard dash or the gold medal in the long jump or something like that, and some kid that can't chew, you know, chew gum and walk at the same time. Obviously, when we have those kinds of differences, the player with the Olympic-caliber potential and the Olympic-caliber athletic ability probably accomplishes a, a fair amount. But the reality of it is we know that that's one extreme, just like the, the poor kid who can barely get you know, one foot in front of the other and, and uh, walk down the street is at the opposite end of that extreme. I firmly believe that if you get 100% from an average player, you're going to win a lot more games and have a lot more success than if you get 75% from a great player. I think you're going to have a lot more fun too, Tori. It's just, it's exciting when you work hard and good things happen and... You know, I've seen just many, many really talented people come up short because they don't work hard at it. Right. They just don't, they don't, they don't put in the, the time. And, and it's kind of like, well, I just, and in, my, in the back of my head, I'm just like, I knew that was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I knew they were going to come up short yeah. in, you know, a big championship moment or something like that. Whereas the, the one that digs, the one that works, the one that, that's the one I want to see in the batter's box. You know when the chips are on the table and we're it's time, because I've just seen the the others slip, let it slip away too right. easily. Yeah. Well, I I can't help but share this story because to me I think it's uh, kind of sums things up. My dad died when I was pretty young, and my grandfather was like the driving force in in my life most of most of my formative years. And my grandfather was one of those. There was no gray area in his world. It was all black or white. It was either you did it or you didn't. There was no, you know, patting you on the back for a nice try. There was no, pretty good. yeah, there was no uh, participation trophies or anything in, in Herb Studier's world. It was, you know, either you did it or you didn't. And I came back from, I think it was freshman year practice. And I was all excited because the coach said, you know, you got potential to be a great hitter. And I was just beaming, you know, I was just like so full of myself and so excited. And so I couldn't wait to tell my grandpa. My, my grandpa looks at me and says, you know what potential means? It's a fancy word that means you ain't done. Yeah. Well, no, he didn't have anything after that uh, four-letter expletive that he said. But it kind of dawned on me that it was really blunt but accurate. Potential means that you could accomplish a lot, but you haven't done anything yet. 
you know, when we talk about players with tremendous potential, it's always exciting when you see somebody that's a great athlete, somebody that, you know, you see, you know, the ability to accomplish great things with a little bit of work or a little bit of effort. Now, we all know that in the coaching business, the real fun happens when you have that really talented athletic player, that player that has that tremendous potential, and they also have the tremendous work ethic. Then something really special can happen. Coaches, I think, uh, and parents, one of the things we get caught up in is we're so worried about what they could be that sometimes we lose track of what they really are. And you know, your, your point about uh, the disappointment of those really talented kids coming up short is a pretty accurate one. And I think a big thing of what, you know, in, in my world, this idea of getting 100% out of all the players and giving 100% as a player, no matter where I fall on that uh, potential meter, um, is really the secret to being successful. And so I think that if we can help our uh, parents and players and coaches do a better job of you know, instilling more work ethic, more um, commitment, spending less time blowing sunshine up these kids' skirts about how amazing they're going to be, and kind of measure that with a little bit of reality, a little bit of honesty, a little bit of a kick in the butt once in a while versus the, you know, always just patting them on the back and telling them how amazing they are, how great they are. No, I think that's for sure right on the mark, Tori, because uh, it just seems like we see all that. That's what we see now. We have those... Uh, Everybody has to win a medal. Everybody has to be happy and smiley. And, and sometimes that doesn't get you to that end potential, right? right? We, we want to find a way to get to whatever our greatest potential is. And it's not always easy. And it's not always sunshiny, right? right. Well, and, and you know, as we said at the very beginning, one of the things that I think kind of puts this all into perspective is there are certain examples of players at, at like the professional level that don't quite live up to their expectations, their potential, that, you know, we talk about them as like they were like, you know, NFL draft busts or NBA draft busts. And the thing that to me, I guess it kind of adds to this conversation, but it's a little bit jilted or, or, or to whatever. To say because, those people are unsuccessful. Yeah, because they, yeah. they were great or had, you know, the, uh, you know, the ability to be great. To get where they're at. To, yeah. Because they got there. You know, yeah. they, they got, you know, they got drafted first in the draft. You know, they, you know, yeah. you know, you know, when we look at, uh, you know, quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, how many of them get drafted, but don't make it. Well, every one of them that got drafted did great to get drafted, yeah. but they just couldn't take that next step. Maybe part of the issue is for some of those players, because they've had so much success coming up through the ranks that there's still that one last missing ingredient that if they'd been a little bit less naturally talented had a little bit less you know potential that people were you know oogling over all right the time. all the time that they yeah. could have learned to take you know the gifts that they were given and do a little bit more work a little bit harder study a little bit more um you know whatever the the, the missing ingredient might be to just be more aware of that and to be more willing to to dive in and dig in and try to do a better job with it no, I think that's a very interesting topic, Tori, because uh, it is where we tell the, some of those players, it's like, oh, how amazing you are. But maybe they need to hear that there's another level for you. Right. We, we, you could do even more. You are great, but hey, maybe we could do this. Yeah. Well, there's a, you know, a quote that I see all the time associated with this game is that you're not really competing with the other team, that you're really competing with the game itself. And to me in coaching... I've never felt that a player's true measure was uh, just in are we winning or losing, but 
Are you becoming the player you really are capable of becoming? Are you fulfilling that potential? You know, there are kids in in both of our memory banks that, uh, you know, came in, they had a lot going for them. We really thought they were going to be good. They worked really hard and they became really something special. Absolutely. But then there's also those others. There's like, oh man, just just not slipped away yeah, from just, just got away yeah. from us. And when it's somebody that you know personally, obviously it, it hits a whole lot closer to home. But the success stories of those kids that were not quite as fast, weren't quite as you know, powerful, didn't have you know, the same athletic build, whatever it is, that just kept grinding and grinding and grinding and ended up making themselves into something extra special is, is always exciting to see. And so you know, we, we talk about uh, Bonnie Bynum Graham, who pitched for me when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech. You know, Bonnie wasn't that kid that everybody was just like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, she's got got it all. She wasn't the Monica Abbott type, you know, that just threw laser beams out there that was this big imposing, you know, person out on the mound. But because she was very serious about her craft and worked very hard at, at perfecting it, she ended up having a great college career. Huge success, um, yeah. And, and honestly was one of those players, I think, for an awful lot of uh, like the college coaches that could have recruited her, they saw all the reasons why they shouldn't instead of the reasons that they should. And I think what happens more often is we ignore the reasons why we shouldn't recruit a player or why we shouldn't want a player on our team, and we fall in love with the, the, what looks like the reasons why we should. Well, she's so fast. Well, she's so strong. Well, she throws so hard. But is that something that she's going to continue to grow and develop, or is it something that's just, you know, God's gifted her with an awful lot of ability, and, and uh, you know, is she going to let this team down when we need her to, to continue to get better? No, I know. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting topic, Tori. That's good. Yeah, and one of the traps we have to keep thinking about, you know, Stan mentions, uh, Don, that uh, a lot of us as coaches, we fall so in love with that athlete, we saw, fall so in love with that potential that Sometimes I think we keep running that kid out there, even when the performance doesn't warrant it, because we keep thinking that, well, the next game. This is going to happen. It, it, It'll it, happen it, now. Today's, today's when it's going to happen. And you know, I guess uh, in hindsight, that idea of you know, giving them one more chance, giving them one more chance, totally makes sense if they are working really hard, if they are really committed. Right. But if they are not doing those things, but we still think that somehow miraculously they're going to take that next big giant step just because they're so naturally gifted. But that's when everybody looks at us as coaches going, well, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they pushing so-and-so out there? Right. Yeah. Well, and the flip side of this is but I can... We, we know things they don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's why isn't so-and-so playing? Because you don't come to practice every day. Right. Yeah, if, if you were at practice every day, you'd know, you'd know why. I always think back to when... Uh, first time we had that really successful run of players at, at UW Parkside. And one of the people I knew in the community you know, uh, came up to you after that group had graduated and said, well, now we'll find out if you can coach now that you got, you know, now, now we'll find out what kind of coach you are now that, you know, so-and-so graduated. And I kept thinking to myself, well, you know, she didn't just fall out of the sky. You know, we had a little something to do with the success that she had. And right. I think we you know, might be able to have some success we again. Can, we can replicate. Now, you know, did we didn't quite get back to that pinnacle that we were at for that little bit of a run, but we still, you know, managed to get a couple of things done. And so, but so anyhow, uh, potential is a wonderful thing as long as we take it to the degree and and develop it to the point where we really do take full advantage of it. If we're not doing that, it's just the greatest disappointment ever. But keep an eye on that kid that works hard. Yeah, and uh, they're going to do something special. Yeah, I, I'd ra- I'd rather have uh, a whole team of those kids that uh, give us 100% of themselves every single day, that are the 100% of the, the, you know, the version of what they could be, 
versus that really talented kid who's just always breaking your heart. You get one or two of those, and yeah. Yeah. Now, if you can get that one or two of those to jump on board with those other kids that are giving you 100%, then something really fun can happen. Cool. All right, Don, so that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. And again, make sure you take advantage of that EFP10 discount. It's a great way for you to save that 10% on uh, your Pinnacle products. Uh, They're a great thing, and we would love for you to be able to do that and support us at the same time. So, Don, time limits. One of our listeners wanted us to talk about it. You know, he's relatively new to the travel ball world, I think has has hit the uh, frustration button that a lot of us that are out at the ballpark uh, do because of time limits. So, Tori, I can remember way back when we would end up hanging out at a ballpark to watch a championship game because we weren't working with time limits and we were in the 12th inning. We, you know, it's a pitcher's duel. We're battling back and forth and just having to sit around and wait. Some ways I kind of liked the time limit idea because then we kind of had an idea of how long we were going to need to be there and when we should be back and, you know, all those other things. But, uh, I think that we've gotten to a point with these tournaments, with the entry fees being so high, with the expectation of a number of games to be played, with uh, getting my money's worth you know, every, right. every weekend, that uh, the time limit thing has gotten to a point where you know, you, from a 90-minute, hour and a half, to you know, an hour 20, an hour 10, you know, drop dead, all this stuff is also creating a different frustration maybe. Right. So. Yeah, well, there's a whole lot of reasons why I hate time limits. Um, and, and you just touched on, on a couple of them. But I think the uh, original idea you also hit on, which is a, an important thing for us to think about, we've all been at the ballpark waiting for that game to end that's in front of us. And when it's going into the 13th, 14th, 15th inning, and you, know, you, you warmed up three hours ago you know, for a game that was supposed to start two hours ago, and your kids have been waiting around for so long now that you almost need to go through the whole another full warm-up just to get ready again, um, it got to, it got frustrating. It would get sure. it would get aggravating. So then, what ended up happening is I think we saw time limits as a way to kind of guarantee that things would move along. And now, you know, softball in and of itself has got a whole lot of things in its history that I think kind of uh, influence some of the stuff that happened and some of the things that we uh, have to deal with. You know, way back when, like the rec league and and adult league softball was meant to you know, crank out you know, however many games a night, every night to stay on schedule, get them in and get them out. When we started off with the idea that uh, softball players could play double headers and triple headers and, and four or five games in a day without any issues at all. And as all those things started adding up, the idea of staying on schedule was a big part of why time limits came in vogue. And then also to cut down on the amount of extra innings, super long games that would uh, put an extra strain on the players and then also put a strain on the schedule. But where we've gone totally off the tracks is what started off with the idea of an hour and 45 minutes or a two-hour time limit 
to keep us from playing a 28-inning game. Right. Which is also why we have the international tiebreaker, too, just so yep. everybody can you know, it up try, to, try to end the games um, that could go on and on and on. Now, I will say this. the One of the most exciting games I ever watched when I was recruiting for UW Parkside in the Illinois State Championship, I watched a 28-inning 0-0 zero to zero game. It was five hours. Yeah, and yeah. after the seventh inning, you know, for that uh, visiting team to not score and have to go out there and keep them from scoring, and, and no uh, tiebreaker either. It was just you know real softball. That's um, heart wrenching. Yeah. Um, and and it was like the second game of the day of that uh, state tournament round, so they still had like two more games to play, and they didn't start the game that was supposed to start at four o'clock until like nine thirty or ten o'clock at night. But anyhow, that's um, exciting. But it yeah. was, I mean, it was like the most on the edge of your seat. You know, just waiting for something that was going to, you know, break the game open. Who, who's going to slip first? Yeah. And both pitchers pitched the whole thing. Awesome. Yeah. So talk about old school. But anyhow. But so then what ended up happening is we put in that two-hour time limit so that we would stop the 28-inning game from screwing everything up. Well, then it became an hour and 45 minutes. Then it became an hour and a half. Then it became an hour and 10 minutes. Then it became an hour and 10 minutes drop dead. And all these other things that have continually made the game shorter, made it less likely that we're going to have a true fair outcome to a game. Make people coach differently. Make people do ridiculous stuff like stalling the yeah. time limit out because you don't want to you know, play one more inning, inning or whatever. Yeah. And just all kinds of stuff that to me is you know, totally against the nature of our game. Not about now, the kids competing. Right. Yeah. Now, the one thing I, I did notice, uh, because our kids have gotten so used to these super short games, that when you play in a tournament where you've got like a two-hour time limit and they actually play seven innings, they're like dumbfounded. They're, they're like, oh my gosh, that's, whole game a, that's the longest game ever. But I've seen some, you know, you know, the flip side of that with some of these hour and 10, hour and 15 minute drop dead kinds of tournaments, you might play two innings. You might play three innings. You might have, you know, everybody on both teams might get one. Maybe the top couple of kids get a second at bat. Yeah. And, and that's it. That's not getting on a roll. For a hitter, that's terrible. Yeah. And especially because, you know, one of the things is, you know, we talk to hitters all the time about, well, you need to be able to make adjustments from at bat to at bat. Well, what kind of adjustments are you making when you only get one at bat versus one pitcher versus everybody's hitting and every game? And so I think that what ended up happening, though, is the shorter time limits allows tournaments to schedule more games. It allows them to squeeze in more potential for income. They end up getting, you know, five more teams in a tournament because, you know, according to their schedule now, they're going to play three more games on a field today than they could have if they played a different schedule. And it all ends up just being one giant mess. And so um, if I had the magic wand of all things... And we're not maintaining the field. Right. Yeah. If I had the uh, ability to change one thing, it would be that we would keep a time limit, but it would never be allowed to be something less than like an hour and 45 or two hours. And that it would always be finish the inning, even though I know that means it kind of defeats the purpose of the time limit. Now, I would allow in like pool play and stuff like that, that you could have tie games to try to stay on on schedule. But obviously, if you're in bracket play, um, you got to finish the inning anyhow to determine a winner. I guess nothing that sums up my aggravation with travel ball in general than the we play an hour and 10 minute drop dead game. The visiting team scores the go-ahead run in the top of the third inning. The home team doesn't even get to bat, and the visiting team claims a win, even though you didn't get a chance to try to get your run back in the bottom of the inning. In three innings. In three innings. And and your leadoff hitter was on deck for her second at bat. Right. 
that's not what we do right. end game in college or yeah. yeah and 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 so every time you see that it just makes you shake your head and go well, what the heck are we doing so the flip side of it is when you're selecting the places to play start supporting the tournaments that are going to play more real softball games support the tournaments that have longer time limits uh support them even though it's going to probably cost you a little bit more money support them even though it might mean there's going to be a few less teams playing but i'd much rather play experience in yeah. a seven inning game um and pay a little bit more money than play a three and a half inning game and say that we squeezed in five games in a weekend even though between those five games we still only played 15 or 16 innings right no yeah. Huge point. Yeah, if you play five games, you should play 30 innings or 35 innings, whatever the math is, right? right. So to me, it's important that we you know, start to, to take more control of that. If you're okay with an hour and 10-minute drop dead and it doesn't matter to you, um, that's fine too. But I, you know, to me, I think we're not setting our kids up for some of the stuff that we really need them to get more comfortable with. Because eventually, they're all going to be playing in school ball. And if you're playing on a varsity team, anywhere in the country, you're probably playing at least an hour and 45 if you're not playing seven innings, no matter what. Right. If you're playing in college, there's no time limit in college anymore. And way back when, when I first started, we played with some time limits in some of the big tournaments. And there was one year down in Florida, they had come up with the speed up rule because they were so tired of getting behind. Then all of a sudden, what ended up happening is a game would get done ahead of schedule and they would start the next game further ahead of schedule. And we showed up at the park we were supposed to have like the seven o'clock game. We showed up at like five fifteen to warm up. <laughs> they wanted you to start. And, and now. the game, you looked at the schedule. Fair. Wait a second. That's the game right before us. And you look up, and they're in the fifth inning. Like, holy we cow! Got two innings to be ready. Yeah, probably had less than that because you know, with the clock running, you know that that fifth inning probably meant that their time was about to expire. I remember. Uh, you know, uh, Wendy Wolf telling me, I'm not really warm yet. And I said, well, you're going to have to just kind of do, do your warm-up through your pitches. Don't worry about throwing pitches yet. Throw fastballs this first half inning or whatever. And, and you know, then, you know, you can finish your warm-up after we're done. But so it was, it was pretty crazy. A scary. But I'm not a fan of time limits. And I, I, if I was in charge of a team, I would be picking tournaments that were playing longer time limits and uh, more seven-inning games. And I would make that my one of my priorities in selecting where I was going to play. And if it meant we had to drive a little bit further to do it some or whatever, I would choose that over the you know, hour and 10 minute drop dead, barely get to play games. Totally agree, Tori. I like what you're saying about that, but we've, we have to encourage it by supporting those, those tournaments yep. that, that are set up that way. And Parents need, need to talk to your coaches. Players, you need to talk to your coaches. Coaches, you need to have this discussion. All right, so I want to go to tournament X, but it's going to cost us an extra 500 bucks, but we're going to play five, seven inning games. Yeah, we get 35 innings. And everybody, I think, would be in favor of that. But don't be afraid to have that conversation. If everybody's like, well, $500. And then, okay, then we'll keep playing the 15-inning, five-game, hour- and 10-minute games that we played last weekend. That's just crazy. All right, Don, so that's going to take us to our coaching tip of the week. So we've talked about this, it seems like, 15 times in the last 15 episodes. I know it hasn't been quite that much, but it's it's been... I'm curious uh, now. But But it's really wearing me out. Coaches. This is something that we have got to all take to heart. This idea that every time a player pops up or hits a weak ground ball or hits a lazy fly ball, that you have to coach their mechanics and change their mechanics from pitch to pitch or swing to swing is just flat crazy. We would call it overcoaching. I, I, I would call it overreacting to a limited amount of feedback, right? a limited amount of information. I have this talk with hitters all the time. I said there's misses 
and there's mistakes. We've talked about it. We've written a blog about it. It's been on our social media stuff. Um, you can find it if you go to the fastpitchprep.com website. And the reality of it is, for most of us as coaches and parents, I don't think we always understand the difference. Yes, there are things that happen that are mistakes. There are things that happen that need to be adjusted or corrected. Now, they're never going to really be adjusted or corrected on the fly, which is a, you know, the secondary part of this. But there's an awful lot of times that kids don't get hits and they take good swings and they just miss the ball. Totally. Because the pitcher's trying Swing to do something bad. too. Yeah. Because you know, somebody faced a great pitcher who threw a rise ball that bumped up just a little bit at the last second and they hit a pop-up you know, up up on the infield yeah. or a fly ball to the center fielder. Doesn't mean that they dropped their hands or dipped their elbow or stepped in the bucket or closed their eyes or turned their head or whatever it is. So we have to get out of this habit because you're driving these kids crazy and you're making something that's already hard a million percent harder. They spend a lot of time working on their swing Hopefully that more and more of them are gaining confidence that they can duplicate their swing and that their swing feels like it's you know, going to be productive for them. So if they miss a ball once, recognize that they missed. Now, if you see something over and over and over again, then that's a mistake. But now the mistake that we often make as coaches is that we always come back to thinking that it's mechanical. Right. You know, we talked about this a bunch of times, but I'm going to you know, hit this nail one more time. <laughs> If, they're, if they've got a really good swing, but on game day their swing breaks down for some reason, a big percentage of the time it's going to be that their timing is off for whatever reason. They're too late getting set up. They're not really prepared to swing. Their front foot's not getting down in time. They're not really getting loaded early enough. You know, the ball's there before they're ready to hit it. That's not a swing problem. That's a timing problem. Right. And when you tell her she dropped her hands or dropped her elbow or you know, swung up at the ball or just missed the, you know, you know, hit the bottom of the ball or whatever, you're not really doing anything at all to help her understand that, well, those things happen, but they happen an awful lot because your timing's messed up. So make sure you get your front foot down. Make sure you get ready to hit. Make sure that you're comfortable in the box and that, you know, when, when that ball gets to the hitting zone, you know you're ready to hit it. Would be a whole lot more productive. But unfortunately, because it's easy to see the problem in mechanical terms, the reason that she dropped her hands is because her timing was screwed up. But we see her drop her hands, so we tell her, don't drop your hands. Well, we just created a bigger problem than we could have ever possibly created if we had just done nothing. So technique and technical things in practice and game time, cut them loose. Yeah, and, and definitely stop trying to make an instant a correction or, or an instant adjustment based on just one swing or just one outcome. Well, not, not to go crazy on you here, Tori, but and we just talked about maybe not getting another at-bat for a couple hours till the next game's played, right? right? Yeah. That's tough. Yeah, and so, but I think what we end up doing is because we, and, and uh, from a coaching perspective, Yes, I know we're trying to help, but we got to make sure that we're aware enough of what's going on and that we're paying attention enough to what's going on to offer the help that's really useful. If you saw a player drop her hands and she hit a pop-up, you can tell her the obvious of, well, you dropped your hands. Or you can be a little bit more aware of it and say, well, okay, you dropped your hands, but I think it's because your timing's messed up. The hand drop or the elbow drop or the stepping in the bucket, or the spinning around in your swing, or all That's things. That's not your normal swing. Right, yeah, because the ball's there, and you're not ready to hit it, and your brain so does you one something. thing. Your brain says, my job is hit the ball. 
My job is to hit the ball. That's all your brain is, is doing once you start your swing. And if the ball's there and you're not ready for it, your brain's going to come up with some sort of jacked up, hilarious swing that you cannot even imagine. Nobody's seen before from right. you. Yeah. And, yeah, and the player can't explain it either because you know she surely didn't ever practice that. She didn't do it on purpose. That's not her swing. But she had a brain cramp. Her brain cramped up and that's what it came up with. The other thing is, if it's not just purely timing, then it can also be purely mental. We've got their heads so full of snakes they can't see straight. We're telling them so many things that their mind is racing in a thousand different directions. Instead of standing in the box with a quiet mind thinking, see ball, hit ball, you know, here it comes, I'm going to hit it, ready, we're, go. We're paralyzed. We're, we're so busy thinking about, don't drop my hands, don't do this, do this other thing. Well, he said I did this. Well, she said I did that. Well, my mom told me to, to do this. And, and, and on and on and on it goes. And they've got so much stuff squirming around in their head that they have no chance of hitting. And here's the reason I wanted us to talk about it again. I think 90% of the corrections I hear when I go to the ballpark are always mechanical. I almost never hear anybody saying things that are relative to what's really happening or what would really solve it. If we know for sure that 90% of this game is timing and mental, why are we spending 90% of our time correcting something that's physical? Little pieces. Right. And, and especially because most of those little things are not going to make much of a difference anyhow. Let's work on, on growing our knowledge base, making sure that we're th- watching our players and knowing our players well enough to see beyond the mechanical and figure out, well, what's causing that mechanical thing to happen? If we can do that, we're going to all be happier and your players are going to be so much more successful. Because they don't have to be up there trying to think about, well, my hitting coach said this, and my mom said that, and my dad said this, and my coach said this, and the first base coach said that. I think I said this last time we talked about it, but I'll say it again just to, to be clear. I was working with a team earlier this spring season, and just kind of, you know, they asked me to just kind of come and watch, observe, make some notes, give them some, you know, some stuff to, to work on, you know, yep. you know, help them come up with some stuff to work on in practice. And in one at bat, I saw a player between the on-deck circle to back to the dugout after she struck out get coached by her mom, her dad, her third base coach, her first base coach, and two or three of her teammates all shouting different things for her to be working on. They're all trying to help. And everybody means well. I'm not saying that they're not trying to help. <laughs> right. but, but And here's why this whole thing is so problematic. Not only did they all talk about something different, some of the corrections that they were asking her to make were contradictory to each other. For sure, yeah. Telling somebody to do two different things that work against each other as a solution to solving a problem is just crazy. In the heat of battle. In right. The, in a yeah. moment of while, while we're walking up to truth. the plate with the bases loaded and we're down by two <laughs> runs in the last inning. And so to me, we, we've got to keep talking about this until we change this mindset. So, I got it, Tori. They have these little orange things at Home Depot. You curl them up and you put them in your ears. Oh, the, uh, the, yeah, the uh, uh, sound deadeners? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. And Maybe so, that should be mandatory. Right. And so here's what I have started doing with the players that I work with. And here's what I would tell all of the players that are listening and all of our parents and, and hopefully all of our coaches. When your coach says, you did fill in the blank. What they're telling you is get your front foot down, get your timing right, make sure you're ready to hit. That's what they're really saying. Smooth and early. That's what they're really saying. Whatever your 
key timing thing is, whatever your key thing is. You know, I talk to kids all the time that really good hitting is ready, go. And if it doesn't feel like that's happening, something's not right. So if it feels like, eh, 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 like one foot on the brake, one foot on the gas, and my head's so full of confusing thoughts that I can't get my mind right. So when they're making these uh, suggestions, turn it into a real suggestion that can help you. Make sure your timing's right. Make sure your mind's right. Think about, you know, you know simplify your, your thought process, whatever it is. But so instead of thinking, well, my mom said I dropped my hands and my dad said I stepped in the bucket, I'm going to think about what they both just said. I'm going, yeah, my timing's off. I got to get my front foot down earlier. And then when your coach at third base says, well, you're you know, swinging under the ball and your coach at first base says, well, you're swinging around the ball, you're going to get, you know, thank them for their information. Turn, turn it around. Turn into... around in your mind and say, make sure you get ready to hit. Make sure you're ready in time. And if we can start to understand that those are the real reasons why kids struggle, and it's not just hitting, but hitting is the one that drives me the craziest. I see the same thing for pitchers where they're getting coached by five different pitching experts being told at the same time to throw as hard as you can and slow down and throw strikes. Right. At the exact same time from two different same people. Same pitch, yep. You know, it's your elbow, it's your wrist, it's your stride, it's your posture, it's your you know, explosiveness, it's your, it's your, it's you your. Opened well, up too early. Yeah. yeah. So again, coaches simplify it, recognize what's really going on. Stop correcting mechanics when mechanics are not the real problem. Little orange packet, Home Depot. Yeah. The, go. uh, the earmuffs. Yep. Yeah. So the, <laughs> these things we have for the podcast microphone and the, and the earmuffs, we need to have that for players. <laughs> So I love it. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode number 227. As always, please make sure you support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Elite Sporting Goods, and Pinnacle Power Butter. Go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. We need more patrons. Thanks, Jack Ingram, for your support. Uh, make sure you go to the fastpitchprep.com website. Order your square cuts training discs. They're $49.95 a dozen. Hit the order button. We'll get them sent to you right away. There's also over 700 blogs. Dan's talked me into a good one. I'm going to write a new one this week. Um, and we'll get that out on social media pretty soon. Uh, tons of information on the fastpitchprep.com websites. For Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tory saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.